0: Hey, Rockbridge, my, uh, my name is Matt, and just excited to, uh, to welcome you here, however you have chosen to, uh, to gather with us, those of you that are online or at any of our six locations here in uh, northwest Georgia and the Tennessee Valley. We're glad that you're here. Uh, last week, we, uh, we started a new series, and we said, you know, maybe, maybe there's a lot of people this day and age that are just hungry for a better way you know we all have a way of doing something a way of talking a way of speaking a way of looking at things a way of responding to things and and we just said last week we just created a question that created some tension and because we didn't really resolve anything we just said hey what if we ask this question what is the way Jesus would and it just sort of opens up our perspective. It, it really is what God's all about, which is making us, as, as people who have put their faith and trust in him, been adopted into his family, become part of his kingdom, making us more Christ-like. So it's uh, what is the way Jesus would do your marriage if he had your marriage, spend your money if he had your money, do your, ha- handle your time, manage your time if he had your time, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we just said, really, there's no area of life, no question you're wrestling with, no issue you're facing, that this question does not provide some form of truth or insight or things to think about or things to pray about so that's all we did last week is we just asked the question created a little frustration created a little tension and I promised that in the next part two and beyond we would get more specific and so today we're going to wrestle with a part of this question in an area that I know every single one of us has experienced at some point in their life I think all of us have experienced it here in recent memory or in recent history and here it is what is the way Jesus would handle not being in control, right? And, and let's, just, let's just be honest, right? Not being in control is a big-time issue or fear. In fact, I think as Americans because you know we rightly prize liberty and our individual rights and, and all of those kind of things not being in control is fearful because it it's kind of like we don't we don't, we think we can do anything attain anything pursue our dreams and that god's going to help us do those things and the thought that my achievements my accomplishments my place in life is not fully under my control or in my control is kind of scary. And and we're going to wrestle with this because I think our whole world is kind of here right now. And and, and we're just wrestling and responding and reacting to a world that maybe seems out of control, a country that seems out of control, a virus that seems out of control. And, And some of you would say, hey, Matt, that's nothing. My marriage is out of control. Some of you would say, hey, Matt, my faith is kind of gone, and I I don't know anymore. I'm I'm at a loss, or my job, my kids, it all just feels out of control. And and so we're going to touch upon that. Now, but before we kind of get into maybe the better way or the way Jesus would handle not being in control, let's talk about some of the ways you and I might handle when we're not in control. Here's some typical emotions. You know, I think obvious you have fear and worry and stress and the folks in our story, when we get to the scriptures in just a minute, that's what we're going to see. I think sometimes there's anger and bitterness. Anger and bitterness. I, I think one of the frustrations that's going on in American Christianity right now or the, is, and the, the anger that I, I feel every, every day, virtually this week, I, I heard a story was shown a Facebook post or something or, or was told about somebody that was angry. Some of it was anger at me, some of it was anger at God, some of it's anger at government, but it's just angry. And I think, you know, for a long time in our country, Christianity sort of operated from home field advantage, if you will. home field advantage. Most people that ran businesses, most people that were elected to office professed faith in Christ, and, and now it just sort of seems like Christianity, we're, we're the visiting team in, in, in America. And so there's a loss of control that's come into the Christian psyche. And so you've got a lot of Christians who are showing these emotions, and I just want to lay over those emotions. What is the way Jesus would handle not being in control? And then you know we sometimes we attempt to regain control and if we can't control all of that we'll we'll control what we can control which is maybe our house or our car or our clothes or our Instagram and so we'll just shrink down, but we'll control what we can control. Sometimes we'll seek relief, and often that relief is unhealthy. That's when we go and we do things like we try drugs or we get into you know sexual addiction or uh, illicit fantasies and things of that nature, or we become workaholics because maybe I can control my work environment, or, or, or we become obsessed with a sport or obsessed with PlayStation or Xbox or uh, fantasy football because right there at least I'm in control. And so that's just some typical ways that we respond when we're not in control. And so what about Jesus when he, he, he experienced the, the issue of not being in control? And what does Jesus offer for us? And there's a very insightful description of Jesus that he gives of himself in Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 11. And he says this. He says, hey, come to me. So there's an invitation. All you who are weary and burdened. And and weariness and burden is this feeling that, man, I'm just not in control, right? And he goes, I'll give you rest. Now, I just want you to take this promise and put it on top of these typical emotions that you and I would profess to feel or exhibit when we're not in control. And we start to see, maybe we're not doing things the Jesus way. And he goes on, he says, take up my yoke, and here's, here's the invitation to be a student of Jesus, an apprentice of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus. Learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Here it is, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And so that notion of rest, that notion of you know just easy when we're walking in the way of Jesus after when we're weary and burdened, that there's a better way to handle not being in control. Now, let's go back. <clears throat> some of this is typical because the world we live in is broken. Some of this is going to, all of us are going to have these thoughts, have these emotions to some degree because the world is broken, because we're broken, we need a Savior, we need a God that we can follow, that God that we can trust in. So for me, the telltale sign that I... <coughs> and doing or handling not being in control in an unhealthy way is disproportionate emotion, disproportionate emotion. Have you ever said, I just can't talk about that right now? That's disproportionate. Have you ever just ever looked at someone or even yourself at your anger and then said, man, am I this upset about that? Or, or has your wife said or your husband said or your small group said, you know, hey, if you zoom out, that's really not that big a deal. And, and there's this disproportionate anger, frustration, cynicism, bitterness that comes out of us. At, you know, sometimes it comes out at inopportune moments. Sometimes, you know, we go through the day and we smile, but inside we're reeling. And when we can let our guards down, it's our families that get the disproportionate frustration or anger that get the, the shortness, the harshness and all those kinds of things. And so we're open now, maybe, to a better way. Okay, Matt, you know, we've all been through, we're in periods of time, seasons of times when we're not in control and and, and we've tried it our way. Uh, What is the better way? What is the better way? Well, there's, this, there's a couple of stories we're going to look at, but our main story is going to be from Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 8. Kind of a familiar story, Jesus and the disciples get in a boat and there's a storm and all that kind of stuff. And, and we're just going to watch Jesus and then we're going to watch his interaction with his disciples. And we're going to learn from that and see if we can't learn the way of Jesus, of how we might handle, how we might respond when we're not in control. So here we go. Uh, this comes right after a bunch of people have left Jesus. They, they came to him, he said some things they didn't like, so they walked away from Jesus. And then he comes to his disciples and he says, I'm getting into the boat, and they followed him. And that, that's physically they followed him like a trail guide or a tour guide, but it's really uh, paradigmatic of what it means to be a Christ follower. I'm going to follow Jesus. And they're disciples, which means they're learning from Jesus. So in the midst of this boat, and they go out in the Sea of Galilee, it says suddenly something happened. A violent storm arose at sea so that the boat was swamped by the waves. You know, I'm a Navy guy. I can relate somewhat, although our boats were bigger than their boats, right? But I know what it's like to feel to be at sea and have big waves. And in this setting, in the boats they sailed in in the first century, they were not in control. They were not in control. The storm was in control. And then here's the craziest little phrase but Jesus kept sleeping. Jesus kept sleeping. And, and I'm thinking about that, and I'm like, that, that, that's got to tell us something. So why everybody else is awake, everybody else is scared to death of the storm, but Jesus kept sleeping. And it shows us that Jesus was a man just like you and I. He's also God. We'll talk about that. So, but it says something because when you sleep, you're not in control. You ever thought about that? I mean, the world still revolves when you and I sleep. Have you ever thought about this? God, when he gave you and I a biology, he wired us to need to sleep. And it's a biological reminder of a theological truth that we'll unpack and we'll discover. And so the disciples came and woke Jesus up and they said, hey, Lord, save us. We're going to die. And it strikes me that one of the first things that gets challenged when life or you and I are not in control is how we look at God and what we ask of God. So, so here, here's the question I just throw out here. When life is sort of interrupted or disrupted or your plans are interrupted or your dreams are interrupted or your day is interrupted or your your agenda for the next five years of your life is disrupted, meaning you're not in control, when that storm comes then who is God? Who is God? Because I think there's a common narrative that says God is supposed to prevent that stuff, and when that stuff comes along, he's supposed to minimize it and or remove it as quickly as possible. And the temptation that you and I will have when we're not in control is to start to view God in this way— That maybe God is indifferent, he doesn't care. Maybe God is incapable and he just doesn't have the ability. Or maybe God is something less than he really is. Maybe God is just something less than he really is. I mean, we could probably all, and this may may be some of your stories, but we could probably all tell a story of someone we know that walked away from God because they went through a storm they didn't think they should have to go through. They thought God should have, God could have, and God ought to have. And God didn't, or at least God didn't the way they thought he should have or expected him to. And so they bailed on God. We could probably also, and, and some of you, that may be your story. I, I, I was a young pastor, 27 years old, some, one of the first members of Rockbridge Community Church, had terminal cancer. And for about 30 days straight, I was in the hospital. And I saw what that that thing does to people. And I remember one day I came home and I told Beth, I said, Beth, I don't believe in God anymore. And look at what I do for a living. And thank God I got a wife and I borrowed her faith for about 25 minutes and and I got back and I got okay. But we know what it's like to think, man, God, couldn't you, shouldn't you, oughtn't you. Come on, God. But let's just pause on that for just a minute. And let's look at some things about Jesus, who is God, although he's sleeping, so he's a man too. But let's look at some things about Jesus that just pop up in this story. I'll share three with you. The first one is this. He's in the boat too. So Jesus is actually with us in it. It being the season <clears throat> the storm when you're not in control, and, and what's remarkable about that is when we study the history of religions and faiths around the world, there is no account of a of any of the gods, the mythical gods, the god, the great you know heads of all the religious faiths in the world. There's no account of a god actually getting into the boat with people going through life with all its storms, with all its ups and downs. In fact, the author of Hebrews says it this way. He calls Jesus the high priest, another name for Jesus, another one of his titles. But he says, this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced the same testings we do. He felt what it was like to not be in control. He was tempted to fear, to stress, to worry. (coughs) He was tempted like you and I, tested like you and I. And it says, importantly so, for what his mission was to die for us, it says, yet he did not sin. And, And so now I know, you know, we can say, well, yeah, he's God and he's man. And there's this mysterious thing that we get introduced to that church fathers of old defined as the hypostatic union which is this mysterious joining of two natures, the divine and human, and the one person of Jesus. So what Matthew, when he's telling us this story, at least this part of the story, is highlighting is the human aspect of Jesus, that he was in a situation where he was not in control, and he was sleeping because he was a human being, and human beings require sleep. But the fact that he was able to sleep when he was not in control tells us something about how Jesus was looking at the storm or experiencing the storm that was different than his disciples remember we all have a way of doing stuff right and so why is it that the 12 disciples are shaken in their boots are afraid are scared to death are questioning Jesus and yet Jesus is sleeping because the way they're looking at it is different so back to our question What is the way Jesus would handle not being in control? The second thing the story illustrates about Jesus then is that he's not stressed or worried about it. He's not stressed or worried about it. A lot of us have so normalized fear worry, anxiety, and stress, that we don't think there's anything wrong with it, that we don't think God's going to do anything about it, that it's just sort of the way I am, the way it is, and the way the world works, and the way everybody makes me feel. That's a lie from Satan. We got to start questioning our worry. We got to start questioning our fear. We got to start questioning our stress. We got to start questioning our anxiety and say, could I be looking at my storm, my it in the wrong way? And the way I'm looking at it is producing stress when the way Jesus looks at it lets him sleep right through it. We Just got to ask. And if we ask that, and I told you last week, we have to go through this whole series with humility. If we go through this whole series without humility, we'll get nothing out of it. And so if we come to this point and we have humility, then we hear Jesus' invitation that we read earlier, which is, learn from me. The way I want to show you to live is easy and light, and the burden is such. So let's pause now. So obviously Jesus is seeing this storm differently than the 12, and differently than you and I tend to see ours as well, right? So we begin to say, okay, what's Jesus looking at? And I I use that phrase metaphorically. What's Jesus looking at? Or how is Jesus, what's the way that he's looking at this that's different than his disciples? Well, we begin to get some insights in this in a a more of a theological uh, dialogue from Jesus in in John's gospel. And listen to what Jesus says. Very insightful. (coughs) Jesus explained, I tell you the truth. So I'm not lying to you, right? He says, the son can do nothing by himself. Now, he's emphasizing that, yes, he's part of the Godhead, fully God, but fully man. I can do nothing by myself. Hypostatic union. But he says he does, he's talking about himself in third person, he does only what he sees the Father doing. So Jesus is focused on the Father. What has Jesus' attention, what has Jesus' preoccupation, you ever heard, you're preoccupied, what Jesus is preoccupied with is staying connected to his Father and his Father's will. He goes on, he says, whatever the Father does, the Son does also. For the Father loves the Son and shows him everything he's doing. I can do nothing on my own, back to my humanity, but I judge as God tells me, therefore, my judgment is just because I carry out the will of the one who sent me, not my own will. So, Jesus is not going through life with the question that you and I go through our day with, which is, are things going to go my way today? And you've all got one. I've got, you, we all have a definition of what going my way means. For some of you, it's your, it's your sales report and, and your profit at the end of the day or end of the month. For some of you, it's likes on social media. For some of you, it's, man, I don't have anything to do on Friday night. For some of you, it's like, man, did anybody say anything bad about me today? But we all ask, I mean, are things going to go my way today? And so we look at our lives like that. The disciples got into the boat with, hey, are things going to go my way on the, ship, on the sail tonight? And they didn't, and they get upset and fearful and afraid and scared about it because they're not in control and things aren't going their way. And Jesus is sleeping because Jesus is looking at the Father, and Jesus is not, as a human being, not going through his life asking, are things going to go my way today? He's asking, what is the will of God for me today? And that's a vastly different way of looking at things. Which brings us to point number three about Jesus in the boat. Jesus knows who's over it. He knows who's over the storm, who's in charge of it, who's ultimately causing, allowing, permitting, governing, and ruling, and letting things happen. So he understands something about God that I think is probably sorely missing in most of our, our reservoirs in such a time as this. Jesus understands that it's not, as a human being, it's not about his will, it's about the Father's will. So Jesus isn't saying, our things going to go my way? Jesus is looking to walk in the same way as he sees his Father walking and willing. And Jesus understands something so significant, which is what enables him to sleep like a baby through a storm in the first century. He understands The sovereignty of God. I fundamentally believe for many of us the sovereignty of God is a lost doctrine and it's cost us our peace and it's caused us to be governed by fear and worry and stress and anger and frustration because we aren't in control. The sovereignty of God reminds us he is always in control. So let me give you a working definition of the sovereignty of God. It's that he reigns, God reigns and rules with care, with purpose and without limit over his universe, his creatures and the direction of his story. So God is still in control when the storms come. God's not surprised by 2020. God's not surprised by a virus that emerged from China. God's not surprised by a storm that popped up in the first century in the Sea of Galilee. Not surprised. I started walking with Jesus when I was eight years old. I did not learn about, I, I, did not, I, I had head knowledge, I didn't have heart knowledge. I didn't have experiential knowledge. I didn't understand the sovereignty of God till my wife got leukemia. So what I want to invite us to do, just for a minute, I think we need to plunge deep, deep into the sovereignty of God. I think we need to really embrace it and understand it. If not, If not, then whatever it is for you, whatever storm (coughs) is brewing, whatever has you feeling like things are you are, life is, the country is out, uh, the world is out of control. If you aren't anchored into the sovereignty of God, then you will be nothing more than tossed to and fro in the storms of life. So let's plunge deeper into the sovereignty of God. Let me read Romans 13.1. Let everyone submit to the governing authorities since there is no authority except from God. Let me read that again. So there's no authority except from God. That includes Nero in the first century. It includes every president of the United States of America. And the authorities that exist are instituted by God. So I say this. When that hits us, we praise you, God, that all authority belongs to you. We praise you, God. I mean, necessarily, we agree with everybody that's in authority, but we're not doubting who's the ultimate authority. So we don't lose our minds when our guy doesn't win an election. We don't lose our faith because the direction of government. We rest in the sovereignty of God. Another one. This is from Isaiah. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God, there's no other. I am God, there's none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times and what is still to come. And I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. So God, we praise you that your plans and your purposes stand. And God's plans and God's purposes are not threatened by anything you are going through. Your, God's plans and God's purposes are not threatened by the current state of affairs. He is still sovereign over them. He's sleeping through in the boat, right? So we praise you, God, for that. Ephesians 1. He exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given. Jesus is the, the top, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he subjected everything under his feet and appointed him, Jesus, as head over everything for the church. So we say, King Jesus, we marvel at the extent of your dominion and your reign. We marvel at it. We're amazed by it. We're in awe of it. From the Song of Mary, Luke 1, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones but has lifted up the humble. And so we say, God, we confess our hope is in your might and by your grace because you lift up the humble. And then Philippians 2, 9 through 11, we get this. For this reason, God highly exalted Jesus because of his death on the cross and obedience to the Father. He did the Father's will and gave him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we say, God, we praise the name of Jesus for we know where all of history is headed and nothing can thwart it because you have declared it. So I want to ask everybody here that says they're a born-again believer, when's the last time you just stopped and thanked God that he's sovereign? It'll do something good for your soul when your life feels out of control. Say it again. When's the last time you just praise God, not for what you're in, but for who he is and he's over what you're in. He's sovereign over it, and you say, God, when my life feels out of control, I praise you because you always are in control. Now, what happens next in the story, back to our friends in the boat, Lord help us, Lord save us, Lord do this is crazy, is it's like Jesus go, we go from emphasizing the fact that Jesus is fully human, now we go to understanding and seeing that he's also fully God because here's what he does. He said to them, why are you afraid, you have little faith? Question your fear. Question your worry. Question your stress level. Question your frustration. Question your bitterness. Question your cynicism. Question it in light of the sovereignty of God. Then he got up and he rebuked the winds and the seas, and there was great calm. And the men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? They still see Jesus as a man. Even the winds and the sea obey him. <clears throat> so here's the, here, here, here's the choice that you and I face. In the middle of a storm, we have a choice what gets our attention and what we look at. And as your attention goes, so goes your heart, so goes your emotions, so goes your peace or your fear, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So we have a choice are we going to look at the one who sleeps in the boat or are we going to look at the storms around the boat? I'll tell you a true story. I'm in Ethiopia. We're at a prayer meeting with our church partner in Ethiopia. It's a powerful, 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 powerful time in, in the Spirit of God and worshiping God. And every time I've been to Ethiopia, that uh, God has, through believers or impressions from the Holy Spirit, given me a word, uh, and usually it's a scripture verse. And so this guy named Germa comes up to me during a prayer meeting, and through translation, he, he says, Listen, I believe God's given me a word for you, Matt. I said, Okay, what is it? And he said, It's, uh, it's this passage. He said, It's Matthew 8. And, you know, and Through translation, it's Matthew 8, and I figured out it's 23 through 27, 28. And, you know, in my top of my head, I'm like, I'm not exactly sure what that is. But now I'm going to grab my Bible and I read the story. And I knew right then God just spoke to me because He said, Matt, you got to get your eyes on Jesus who's sleeping. He's not worried, and you are. What had happened to me in that moment, and what I've been tempted to do in moments since, is to quit looking at my sovereign Savior who sleeps through the storm. And I've instead wanted to look at the seas and the waves that are around me. There's no peace in that, there's no comfort in that, there's no joy or hope in that. The joy and hope and peace comes from the fact that God is over all of it. So, the way of Jesus, which is our question, the way of Jesus is restful, trustful, and submitted when not in control, right, because of who is in control. That's the way of Jesus. Now, what I thought was interesting is Jesus lived this out. Remember, he experienced everything you and I experienced. So he experienced feeling out of control. So we go further into his life, and we get to the point where he's going to be arrested and tried and crucified and buried. And and there's an awesome scene in the Garden of Gethsemane. He comes with the disciples, and he tells the disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he says, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Jesus is stressed out. He sweated blood, which is an actual medical condition when someone's in deep, deep stress and duress. Because he knows he's going to die. That's the epitome of not being in control is death. We can't stop it and we can't prevent it. So going a little further, he fell face down. And here's what he says. He says, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass for me. If it's possible, let this storm that I'm about to go through, with death on the cross, condemnation for the sins of all mankind and womankind, let this pass for me. But then he says, no, 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 I'm not here to get my way. I'm here to do your will. So he says, yet not as I will, but as you will. And it goes through that a couple more times. Then Jesus is arrested and goes through hell and injustice and dies like a criminal, even though he'd never done anything wrong. But prior to that, he's being interrogated by the Roman governor of this region of the empire, a man named Pontius Pilate. And Pilate says to Jesus, he goes, do you refuse to speak to me? Jesus isn't really talking to him. Frustrates the governor. He says, don't you know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? And and he'll end up having Jesus crucified, mind you. And listen to Jesus' reply. See, if Jesus is looking at government and the power of government... Knowing that this government that he's under has the potential to release him or crucify him, there's a different response. But Jesus responds to Pilate and he says, listen to me, you would have no authority over me at all if it had not been given you from above. In other words, I know who's in charge. And Pilate, you may think it's you, but it's not. Sovereignty of God. Perseverance and hope and obedience of you and I. So here's what's ironic. The same reason Jesus could sleep through the storm, it's the same reason he went through with the cross because he knows what his Father is doing and he trusts in his Father's sovereignty. So here's what I'm hoping for all of us today. All of us, Rockbridge Online, six locations. All of us today, this weekend. Remember I said you have a choice. You have a choice what you focus on. You have a choice what you give your attention to. You have a choice what you're preoccupied with. The choice just gets clearer right now when we, see, when we go from the Sea of Galilee to the Garden of Gethsemane to the cross of Calvary. Jesus is not just in the boat with us, but he's on the cross for us and instead of us. That's an even more compelling picture To focus on Christ. He's not just with us. He went to the cross for us and instead of us. Paid for our sins, rose from the dead. So Jesus is using the storm. God is using the storm and ultimately the cross to reveal himself more completely to us. See, the disciples in Matthew chapter 8, they were like, what is this man? They didn't have a full view that he's fully man but fully God. They didn't have a complete view that he's fully man, fully God, and he's come to die as our substitute for us instead of us. Once they realized that Jesus was the God-man, the Messiah, the one who died for us instead of us and went through the storm with us, once all that crystallized in their hearts and minds, they were resolute in living for the will of God, and they all died as martyrs while they lived for the will of God because they trusted in the sovereign goodness of God. So here's my question. Is the storm we're in a disruption, an interruption, or maybe it should be looked at as an opportunity and an invitation to look to God and to see him more clearly than you ever have? So a couple handlebars for that. The sovereignty of God, that beautiful, beautiful thing that we hopefully got reacquainted with today and this weekend, that sovereignty of God tells me this I do not have to live in what I call reaction mode. You ever felt like, man, lately, man, I'm just reacting. I'm reacting to chaos, I'm reacting to crisis, I'm reacting to crazy, I'm reacting. That's what what we feel like. We're reacting to a virus that we can't see. We're reacting to politics that we can't trust. We're reacting to other people who seem to have lost their marbles, right? I mean, mean, we're reacting. The sovereignty of God says, stop. Look in the boat. He's sleeping because he's got it. He's with you. He ain't stressed or worried. He's not surprised or shocked. Just keep looking at him. Just keep looking at him. Keep looking at him. So let's get out of reaction mode. Let's let's just de-escalate these disproportionate emotions. Look at Jesus. Trust the sovereignty of God. And then we live under his sovereignty. And when you live under the sovereignty of God and you're connected to the sovereignty of God, you have peace that defies circumstantial reality because your circumstances say, hey, life's a living hell. Your circumstances say everything is out of control. Your circumstances say crazy. Your circumstances say chaos. Your circumstances say confusion. But because you are connected and watching the sleeping Savior who's sovereign over it all, you have a peace that nobody can explain. And they're like, why are you so peaceful? Because I'm not looking at the storm. I'm looking at the Savior. You live under his sovereignty with unshakable hope no matter what, because you know no matter what, God's purposes will not be thwarted. His purposes will stand. You know who wins in the end. You know who wins in the end. It's like going to a football game and you're behind in the third quarter, but you know who wins in the end. So you ain't worried in the third quarter. Because you know what that scoreboard is going to say in the fourth. Every knee bow, every tongue confess, Jesus is Lord. Eternal pleasures are at his right hand forevermore. And then you live under his sovereignty with the intent and the corresponding action to join him in what he's doing right now. God is sovereign, and God is working right now. God is, did not stop working in 2020. God did not stop working because a pandemic emerged. God did not stop working during recession. God did not stop working when you got that diagnosis. God did not stop working when your business and your job got, caught, got cut. He is still sovereign over it, and he's working, and he invites us to join him. I share with you four things God's doing always in history until he comes back. Four things. And you should pray. I encourage you to pray. Talk about it. Which one of these four things is God inviting me to join him in? And I'll tell you my answer. It's usually all four of them. Here they are. He's calling people to repent and be saved. He's always inviting people for repentance. As a Christian, your posture, my posture is always one of repentance. Every day. Confession and repentance, coming back to grace, coming back to the cross. God's always doing that. Hadn't stopped. Has not stopped, church. There's still lost people that matter to God. God's always building his church. I don't know what God's doing with America, but I know God has always promised to build his church. So I'm going to make sure I'm a part of that. God's always humbling the proud. Remember I told you he's always doing all these things in my life? I, I, I get humbled all the time and I'm tempted to not accept it. But I know that only blessing comes and favor comes through the humble, not to the proud. And then finally, God's calling us to good works that he prepared in advance for us to do. So here the invitation. Let's look at Jesus. Sovereign Savior, sleeping in the storm. don't have to react to life. We live at peace and hope with the sovereignty of God as our anchor in the storm. And we just keep rowing and we keep sailing and we keep living and cooperating with what he's doing right now. We pray together. God have your way. Have your way. Holy Spirit, I I can't make the sovereignty of God as clear to the soul as you can. So I pray, God, you take these words, these scriptures, and you give us all a reason to worship you because of who you are, how you are, and that you're sovereign and Lord of all. I pray for people right now, God, in a storm. I pray for our country. I pray for our healthcare professionals. I pray for people who are in the hospital right now struggling to make it. God, as as we go through all of that and look at all that, may we constantly bring our eyes, our, our heart, and our eyes of our hope and faith back, and we look at you sleeping in the boat and hanging on the cross. And God, from that place, there is peace that passes all understanding. There's hope that does not disappoint. And there's a path to walk to join you in what you are doing now as you move things forward according to your sovereign and gracious and eternal purposes. And God, thank you that you led us and invite us to be a part of that. We love you, and it's in your name, the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit we pray.